If you like audiobooks or audio shows, check out a free trial of Audible. Just click the link in the description. This is Mindshack True Crime. You are listening to the Stephen Avery series, episode 7, DNA for Dummies. <laughs> this is your host, Bruce McGuire. And Maxwell Powers. And Johnny Mills. On this episode, we are going over how DNA testing works in the spectrum of identifying victims, suspects, and all around the entire field of DNA testing, which most people don't understand. Especially in the Avery case, people just throw around assumptions. Oh, it was Avery's DNA. Oh, it was that the bones were matched to Hallback. Well, how exactly were they matched? How do DNA matches work? We will be going over all of this in a highly technical episode that is critical for anyone who's not only interested in the Stephen Avery case, but in any true crime cases where DNA testing is a variable. Once again, if you like our podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Just check the link in the description. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel and hit the bell notification for updates. And you can check us out on social media, Facebook, Reddit, Twitter, and Patreon. Just check the link in the description. All right. So, on the last episode, we talked about how crazy some of the evidence was discovered and conflicts of interest on how they were just kept being discovered by the same people that happened to lose $36 million. What a coincidence. There's one thing we didn't talk about, though. So, Johnny Mills maintains the documentary should be called should have been called Making a Genius. <laughs> yeah. I love that title better. Because Stephen Avery's made out to be this crazy genius who can, like, clean his garage and then put years of dust and grime back on top to make it look like it hadn't been clean. <laughs> but the other thing we didn't really talk about, though, and of course, if his bones were in his burn barrel or in his burn pit, and then he put them in his neighbor's, but then he left it on his own property, too. <laughs> <laughs> and how he got rid of, like, the keys, but he had the spare key and just lying around in his bedroom with his DNA on it. The other we didn't really talk about is how close his burn pit is next to his propane tank. <laughs> I mean, we this say, guy... We say that again? <laughs> Wait, how close is his what? burn pit? Like yeah. where he has bonfires? Yeah, it's really close to his propane tank. <laughs> and like we're not close. Like we're not close. talking about a barbecue propane tank. We're talking about like a propane tank for, for a like, house. Yeah, for a house. Oh, like a, like the size of you could fit like five people in it. Probably. Uh, um, I don't know about five people, but yeah, I'll big. show you. Uh, so like, there's his propane tank, that big white thing, and that's the burn pit right next to it. <laughs> Oh, that's about uh, 10 feet. I mean, it's hard to tell exactly because the fire is not going right now, so it's kind of hard to tell exactly how yeah, big. But supposedly so, they do big. But supposedly they do big bonfires. He did do big bonfires. Uh, now, whether or not it was the night of Halloween, we'll be getting into in a future episode. This is the DNA episode. But well, to, to just, burn that, to burn that kind of like body to that, you know. But look at the size. Like his property's not that small. Is there a reason to have the burn pit right next to the propane? Tank? Like, is there a real reason for that, or, or is it live, just because he's a genius? He likes to live dangerously. Oh, that's it. So he's yep. a genius who likes to live dangerously. <laughs> the dangerous genius. He's like, when is this house actually gonna blow up? How close can I get with this bonfire? <laughs> he gets a little closer every day. Let's <laughs> see what happens. With All right. So, one of the people don't like to admit it, but is it really a known fact? that Teresa Hallback's bones were found on his property. I don't think it was conclusive that it actually was, right? Maxwell, I mean, you follow this case very closely. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I'm four episodes in. and uh, <laughs> Oh, Maxwell's oh, catching up. <laughs> Netflix finally worked on your phone? <laughs> well, no, I, I downloaded it on my Chromebook, so. Uh, okay. I wanted to go over all of this DNA stuff first, then yeah. the other evidence. Then we have, we're going to trace Teresa Hallback's last day where she was, where her vehicle was. And then we have to deal on the evidence podcast, we have to deal with her vehicle because there's a lot of strangeness with the vehicle as well. It, it, the car is almost like a chameleon. It changes colors. Yeah. <laughs> or does, or is it just the lighting of the photograph? <laughs> or it could we be don't know. White balance settings. <laughs> yeah. So let's go into a background on how DNA testing and matching works. Because without having this preliminary knowledge, just taking on faith what either investigators, F whoever it is, whether it's the FBI, whether it's Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department, whether it's some random person on the internet, if they're just simply making a statement about DNA evidence and you don't know how DNA testing works, how are you going to be able to interpret 
that information. So this is basically a quick primer on DNA testing and DNA evidence in general and how it all works. So for DNA matching, for DNA matching in forensics, they use STR, which is called single tandem repeat. And so STRs are basically portions of the human genome that repeat. So we're going to look at an image and be up on your screen now. So Maxwell, do you see how these are four different participants and how yeah. the sequence repeats? Yeah. So different people have different sequencing. Okay. So when you do a DNA test, you can more or less exclude certain people the more repeats you have. Okay. So for example, if the DNA only shows participant two and three, it would be difficult to say that there's a conclusive match on one versus the other because they both have similar sequencing. Do you see that? So, so they're similar meaning well, look at the same person or what do you mean? Well, so the DNA's match, right? Right. So look at, so participant two and three have the same sequence, right? G-A-T-A, G-A-T-A, yeah. Yeah. However, participant one and four do not. You see that? So after the uh, yellow, orange, or peach. Yeah, color, right. So they're different. So participant four has 10 repeats. Participant three. Okay. So the longer you go on. Right. So if you have, a, let's say, a DNA sample between participant two and three, mm -hmm. you could say, oh, it matches the participant two. But and if that they would kept be going, and if they, But if they kept going, it doesn't match up. Uh, well, it would still match. It, yeah, it does. Right. So, how do you three. differentiate participant two and three? So, oh, okay. portions. This may, I, I didn't understand what this whole thing was at first. Now I kind of yeah. Get it. So these Maxwell, are four are you random, following? These Wait, are so four random people. These are four Correct. random people, Correct. and they have a match: eight repeats, nine repeats. Correct. So technically, us three could have that same thing. Correct. And then we could have all been a person that killed Correct. somebody. Correct. So, for example, when the news media or the police are reporting, <clears throat> like the DNA matched participant two. Now, does it also match another <laughs> participant? And is there someone who's been untested that it would match even closer to with even more repeats? I get it. So no, how yeah, do you differentiate crazy. two and three? You don't. Yeah, oh. they're exactly the same. So that's what we're trying to say. The DNA oh, okay. is actually so two the same. So depending on, now, let's say you were doing for, if you were going to do 10 repeats, right? So participant four matches close like if you had a dna sample to match participant four yeah so participant three would match a certain amount of repeats also so if you did not have participant four so let's say you had dna from uh from the crime scene or under the fingernails and you had x amount of repeats you're picking a, a suspect they might match the repeats to a certain degree and you'd be like oh well that was a dna match but it was it really a match i mean it was, we're getting into semantics here, but is there a better match? So that's the whole point in trying to unravel how DNA testing works and how much it really means. Because if we're talking in the realm of facts like and logic like we do on Mindshock, this is Mindshock. We're not just going to assume it matches because it's, let's say, a 99% match. Is 99% even that good? How many billions of people are there in the world? And then even if we only take the general area... In Manitowoc, so if there's about eighty thousand people in the county, it's a ninety-nine percent match. I mean, that's a couple different suspects that could match. Now, if they came from out of state, now you're opening up the door. If it was a traveling serial killer, and we'll get into the serial killer theories, of which there are no shortage of as well. Stephen Avery case is insane. The spider web of possibilities is just ever expanding. The more you look into the case, and the DNA could also match somebody else in his family. Even closer. It Correct. Necessarily have to be him. Or depending on how, again, we don't the parameters of the test. You're right. Yes. And then the same thing with Hallback, as you mentioned, if it was somebody related to Hallback and not Hallback, or again, we can't exclude the possibilities of all these tests just being fabricated. Again, there's not necessarily a gigantic conspiracy where all these people are in it. You have one person that fudges some paperwork. Everybody else kind of assumes it was legit. Right? Because why wouldn't they? Everybody's doing their job, right? <laughs> Especially in Manitowoc. <laughs> so how many of these STRs or repeats, that's what's used by FBI and this database that 
has all of these codes is called CODIS, C-O-D-I-S. And so they use 13 SDRs in forensics. So there are also SDRs that deal in gender and mitochondrial DNA that are not part of the FBI's CODIS. But they can be used in testing. So just the basic background of how DNA works in a human. So every human has two copies of a gene. One from the mother, one from the father. So for eye color, you'd have a blue eye gene from your mother and green from your father. And these are called alleles. Maxwell, you know all this stuff, right? Nah. You've done some research in genetics? Nah. Maxwell on the ball. Maxwell Army. What's the, explain <laughs> allele or whatever that is. An allele? Well, that's the identifying marker of the DNA. So it's a part of a gene that's found in the same place on a chromosome. You could also just kind of explain it as a variation of a gene. These are phenotypic traits like pigmentation. So you'd have an allele responsible for eye color or whatnot. Uh, Does that make sense? This is so. like a high school biology class. <laughs> All right. The main difference between a gene and an allele, a gene is a unit of hereditary information, and genes are made up of DNA. Alleles are genetic sequences that have code for traits. So... An allele is a variant form of a gene. Copies of a gene that are different from each other are alleles. So if there's a gene that controls eye color, the allele would be the differentiation. For example, blue eye color or green eye color. Does that make sense? Kinda. Yes, no? I, I, lost I mean, this is DNA for dummies, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought that was kind of basic explanation. Wait, wait, yeah. Can you go back? I just... Uh, I just okay. A gene can have different alleles. When the copies of a gene are different from each other, they are alleles. Okay. So a gene would control eye color. So allele could would be the blue, or an allele could be the green. So there would okay. be different alleles. So these are the dif differentiations okay, in the gene. So they can result in different observable traits. So certain alleles are dominant or recessive. So a dominant allele would override the other alleles. Okay. Whereas if you're just talking genes in general, it's genes for eye colors. It's just more specific. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you'd get one SDR from your mother, one from your father. So you'd have two numbers based on the length of this SDR sequence. So if one person has an SDR length of three and five, so three from the mother, five from the father... Three and five you would use to match the SDR to the sample that you have. In forensics, they mostly use 13 SDRs, so you'd have 13 measurements of two different lengths. So these SDRs do not have known functions like eye color or whatnot. So the FBI uses them with a code, D1, D5, or whatnot. Does that make sense? So that's how it's all coded. That's how it works. So how now, does that make sense or no, Maxwell? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Johnny? D1, D2, that's how they code it? Yeah, like college NCAA. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense? Yes? No? Yeah. Okay. So let's look at how you would calculate probabilities. So you have one sample. So you'd have three and five. You had your measurements and see how those measurements match up to the DNA database. So if we have D1 and the measurements, 3 and 5 in this case, for D1 is 15% of the Caucasian population. So a random person who's Caucasian would have this D1 at 15% chance. So if we use measurements from all the 13 SDRs, it'll be more specific and the probability can be increased that you'd have a specific match so here's the problem with siblings because their dna would come from the same source so when you're doing dna testing within the family it gets really problematic once again with the family members how would you conclusively prove it was one versus the other because if the dna sample only has a certain amount of sdrs you would need a much more specific test. Now, I, I would think it'd be possible 
with advanced DNA testing, but just right off the bat to say, oh, it's Stephen Avery, <laughs> and then no, and go no further. That I mean, that's kind of an issue, right? Well, he was the only suspect, right? So they only tested him for the DNA. Yeah. Mm. Okay, another point. So they they mentioned sweat DNA. What is sweat DNA, Maxwell? DNA from sweat. Nice. Okay, so can DNA is DNA present in sweat? It is not. <laughs> what? So sweat DNA is mostly just skin cell DNA. So okay. when you sweat, it would have yeah, DNA from that. your skin. Yeah. So Kulhane are highly specialized, incredibly intelligent lab technician who was involved in both the eighty-five case and the 2005 yeah so she was in both she was involved in both cases she delayed the testing in the 85 case for a full year so Stephen avery was on top of all his unnecessary time he was in jail another extra year just because she delayed testing and the judge would not allow them to pursue that line of inquiry these judges don't seem crooked at all do they guys <laughs> nah they're, I don't they're so. all above board yeah they're doing the right thing Okay, so here's an issue with the DNA found on the bullet. So, what do we know about that? What, it had a Hullbach's DNA on it, right? Supposedly! So, let's look at that. So, the bullets were not actually tested for blood. So, if we look on day three, the Dassey transcript, page 75, Colhane says, and again, I treated that exactly like I did... FL. There was no visual uh, indication of blood, so I did not earn, do any preliminary test on anything. Uh, I simply washed that fragment, bullet fragment as well, and treated it just like FL. She washed the bullet? That's I washed she... the f that fragment, I washed that fragment, bullet fragment as well. <laughs> okay. Okay, now let's look at Stephen Avery's sample. So it was a full match. So that means excluding his brothers and family there is a one in a trillion chance that it was a random caucasian person other than stephen avery so this is what they said in the transcript so i don't know how they would do this calculation because it seems way off so it seems like they just made that trillion number up because based on the sequencing it seems like there would be it be it should be closer to one in a million there isn't a trillion people on earth right <laughs> well that's what they were trying to say that it was impossible with someone other than Avery. Which, here's the other problem, that would exclude anybody related to him. Because you wouldn't know which of those... Like, the biggest takeaway from all of this is that scientists do not know that much about DNA. It's still a mystery. So in the grand scope of things of how much to know, to actually know everything about DNA and exactly how it works, we're just guessing. Like, scientists are just guessing here. Now, they're educated guesses. You know, you can see the SDRs, you can see the matching. They're not just made up nothing. There, there is some evidence on how it works. They just don't have the bigger picture. So to calculate these chances, it's, it's difficult. So Teresa Hallback was partially matched to the charred flesh in and near the burn pit. So the transcript says there's one in a billion chance that it was another Caucasian person other than Teresa Hallback. Once again, this would not include family members like cousins. So let's look at Avery's fingernail scraping swab from the 85 conviction. So they didn't just have his blood. So they had his buccal swab from his 85 conviction. So Kulhane and Remaker both confirmed this. However, Mark Weigert claimed he didn't know this until April 6, 2006. So they did have non-blood DNA from Avery, and it was in Sherry Kulhane's possession in 2002 to test Avery's DNA that led to his exoneration. She returned these in September 2003, coincidentally. <laughs> Right after Avery was released. Wow, what a coincidence. They had he, to, they he, had received, to, he received what? No, she sent it back to the sheriff's department, and they were received by Dave Remaker. Does that name sound familiar, Maxwell? Nah, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> who's oh, Dave man. Remaker? Does, does Lincoln Coburn sound familiar? 
Colburn, is that one of the cops? Those are the two butt buddies. Uh, wait, so who's Ravik? <laughs> I forget who. who who's Ravik. Stephen Avery? Do you know who Stephen Avery is? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Uh, you sound like there was a long pause there, Max. <laughs> I know. I, I do. I know who he is. Okay. All right. All right. Do you know who Moore Murray is? Yeah. <laughs> no pause there. It takes, okay. It takes a, it takes a few episodes. <laughs> All right, so Remaker received these on October 13th, 2003. And guess who was with Lank and Colburn? So who the fuck is he? <laughs> Remaker? Yeah. He he works for the Manitoba County Sheriff's Department. Okay. <laughs> you just laugh it up. You're like, you never answer. I don't, I don't know who the fuck he is. Detective Dave Remaker. He works for Manitowoc County. So if you were paying attention in our last podcast, Dave Remaker is one of the Sheriff's Department members who was there for a lot of the evidence collection and uh, or made definitive statements and or decisions regarding the case. Gotcha. Huh. And so Lank, Coburn, Kucharski, and Remaker were there the day that the key was found in his bedroom. So what's again, and we mentioned this before in the early episodes, do you guys find it interesting that Avery Samples sat at the state lab for 18 years and then as soon as Stephen Avery is released, they decide to send them to Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department? Yeah, that's where it should be, right? Where? At the police department? Or where should it well, be? Well, why would it be there? It would, be, a... it would just be at the state lab. Because, like, where did they get his uh, blood sample? Wasn't it at the police? I believe so, but county? they were 18. They just stored at the state lab. Why would they go to the county Yeah, lab? I guess that makes sense. Maybe maybe they had what they had it there for so long, they maybe 18. cloned them. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this the <laughs> new theory? Whoa, 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 whoa. Did a Stephen Avery clone kill <laughs> Teresa Hallback? And that's oh, why man. Stephen Avery doesn't know anything about it because they use his clone. And that's yeah. why his alibi fits because he uh, he didn't do it. But his clone did. His clone oh, did it. Man. Yeah, they cloned his DNA. Okay, we got a Johnny Mills theory. We got the McGuire theory, and then there's the Mills theory. Maxwell's got to come up with his theory for, for the Stephen Avery case. So, okay. On day 11, page 64, Avery's trial, Sherry Colhane claims the buccal swab from 1984 was sent back to Manitowoc County September 2003. Dave Remaker actually signed for this buccal swab on October 13th, 2003. Now, are we going to sweep that completely under the rug or and explain it away as standard operating procedure? Or do you find that interesting in adding to the stack of motive means and opportunity to frame Stephen Avery? Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know about that. I thought it was just the blood thing that was weird. Now they like got everything. The, um, yeah. Everything. So Everything's the, weird. So the There's police... nothing that's not weird. Is there anything that's not weird about this case, Maxwell? Uh, so the, the county requested to get the buccal swab. Did they request it? Or was it, I mean, we don't or know. Or just that. Well, they sent it and it was signed for. So you're okay. right. If there was a trail of a request, that would be interesting. That'd be interesting. I don't know. And that was 2003. So yes, they had it since Within then. weeks of his release. Yeah. Like me, when he gets out, you know, plant this. <laughs> it's messed up. That's messed up. All right, day 18, page 192. Weigert confirmed Manitowoc has Avery's fingernail scrapings, hair, and buccal swabs. Before this uh, haulback thing? Yes. So he called and spoke with Remaker over the phone, and in this phone conversation, he said about these samples, they haven't been opened. Up, oh, case closed. If he said it, it must be true. It right, must we're be done with the podcast, They would never. Oh, yeah, they would never lie. We're done. Wait, 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 we might as well close the case right now. <laughs> but here's the thing: even if they hadn't been opened, like you pointed out, Johnny, they the, could get his DNA about, from so, from his place. They showed on the house. documentary, or is that something else? The what? The blood sample? Yeah, is that with the whole? Talking it? about something different? Like, well, he. Bruce is saying that there's uh, fingernails, uh, hair, and buccal swabs. Hair. Yeah, everything. Okay, so they had all. They had everything. Yeah, admittedly, <sighs> they said it wasn't open, but you know, but here's the thing: even if it wasn't open, they could have still got it otherwise. But regardless, keep in mind on November fifth, sixth, and eighth, two thousand five, that's when Remaker 
Colburn and Lank were searching Avery's house. The key was found in the eighth. So these same people <laughs> that are involved with the possession of his DNA, hair, <laughs> buccal swabs, they happen to be the ones finding all the samples. It's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, say, I said this last time. Like They don't want to send anybody else because nobody else yeah. finds anything. Yeah. It's only those guys. Yeah. <laughs> Making a genius. They got good eyes. Oh, man. So, is it possible that they could have used the buccal swab or otherwise on the Hallback key? And they all, because they had Avery's buccal swab from 1985. And this could be why there was a very small amount of DNA on the key. Did Sherry Coolhane testified. Did they ever test a key if it fit on the Rev 4? Like you guys. Well, that was that an way. interesting point. Someone just commented about that. I'm not sure. I, now, as I, I, I would think they did, but with this case, you never know. And we, yeah, the, we have it, to. It's funny if they said like, "Oh no, the spare key never. It couldn't start the car." It, <laughs> that, would be, that, would be that would be interesting. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. If 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 her boyfriend and the roommate, and or Mike callback, if any of them are involved in any way, like what's to stop them from taking the key from her apartment and just mm. chucking it into his bedroom? And then just saying, by the way, officers, do another sweep on the room. You might find something. Oh, how did we miss that? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and it only had Stephen's Wait, they, DNA. And, and, they went, and they went through that place seven times, right? Is that what I heard? Seven times and Pretty I never much. found it. And then the and last I found one. it on the eighth yeah. time or something So like I'm not that. sure if we talked about this, but the way that – so dust is mostly skin cells, dead skin yeah, cells. Yeah, yeah. So Avery does not look – like he keeps the cleanest bedroom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his place is a little messy, not to mention the garage. I mean, it's all dusty and grimy. Yeah. So his skin cells are all over the room. If you just chuck something in there and it contacts either his sweaty slippers that it was or, found next or, to. Or the carpet that, you know. you know, <laughs> yeah. Or his bed. If he doesn't yeah. clean his bed regularly, it would have skin cells all over it. So <laughs> they might have chucked that key in there not even knowing that it would come up with DNA. They might be like, oh, he, they're going to find the key. That proves that he did it. They might not have even known that it would pick up the DNA. Yeah. So then, and as Sherry Coolhane acknowledged, it was a very, very small amount of his DNA. So that's consistent with it possibly just touching something that was his. Hmm. Another interesting point. All right, so let's go to the hood DNA, the hood latch DNA. Now, for many people, what I've seen online, this is the critical piece of evidence they point to for thinking Avery's guilty. Oh, his DNA is on the car, which he just randomly covered with tree branches while using his (laughs) extreme intellect and being one of the smartest criminals in the history of the world and being able to completely bleach a garage and then put all the dust and grime back on top. Yeah, and they o- they only tested the uh, the hood latch right after they talked to Brendan Dassey or interrogated him. They were like, he uh, was the one that told them about it. Well, they were like, what did he do? He go to, did he go to the hood? Did he open? He's <laughs> like, yeah, he opened the hood. Those sound like leading questions <laughs> to me, Johnny. What do you think? Yeah, and then they're like, oh yeah, Brandon said something's wrong with the hood. So then they go and do some tests on it. <laughs> <laughs> and what a coincidence. But here's, it's actually even weirder than that because Cool Hain actually acknowledged in court that the DNA under the hood was so minimal that it was consistent with transfer DNA. <laughs> now, what do we have here? The CSI tech that was looking at Avery's vehicles... He did not change his gloves, and then he opened the hood. So, here's the thing. If he didn't change his gloves and he was going through Avery's car and Avery's items, which have Avery's DNA on it, and then he opens the hood without changing his gloves. Now, we have a question here. Is it due to complete incompetence that he didn't change his gloves, or did possibly some of the officers on the scene... Now, we have recurring names here. We have... Uh, Link, Coburn, <laughs> Remicker. I mean, some of these guys are just always around. Were they around and, or either prior on a different day told the techs not to change their gloves so they might accidentally <laughs> discover more of Avery's DNA on various nice. items or vehicles? Are you following Maxwell? See, Maxwell? <laughs> Maxwell? on the ball. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> Maxwell Army. So what do you think about what I just said? Oh, amazing. Uh, amazing theories and... Um, breakdown of the dna processes 
Well, we're we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about the hood latch DNA. What the hell is that? The hood latch, <laughs> 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 the hood of the of Teresa Hallback's vehicle, the Rav Four. Wait, so oh, okay. so one of the critical the reason most people think Avery's guilty, they usually point to oh well his DNA is on the hood latch, so he must have done it. That's the one of the number one. That's probably right. That's probably and they, number they one. They said it was sweat transfer. So Sherry Culhane actually admitted that the DNA on the hood latch was so minimal that it was consistent with transfer DNA. So as I was just saying, if you were paying attention, that the the tech that did was was going through Avery's vehicle and Avery's things. He didn't change his gloves to open the hood of Teresa's RAV4. So I want to go back to that real quick. So when, what do you mean by changes gloves? What was he going through before that? Stephen Avery's vehicle. Oh, And was... items in Avery's vehicle. Oh, okay. So and then obviously... he went to haulbacks. Yes. Eh, okay, that makes more sense. So... <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what this... do you think, Maxwell? So what does, does this seem like damning evidence in a case? A CSI tech doesn't change his gloves, goes through Avery's vehicle, goes through Teresa's vehicle. At least, did he admit to that that he changed gloves or? Yes, or he did. Wow. He confirmed that he went through Stevens Avery's car and then went to open the hood latch with the same gloves. Now here's the thing: the DNA amount was so minimal. So either Stephen Avery is a complete genius, or he's not. Right? Unless you're arguing. So the, it seems like the state's case would require you to believe that Stephen Avery has a split personality and he's both the smartest person in the world and the dumbest backwoods hillbilly or a clone. I like the hillbilly one. Or a clone, I guess. But <laughs> the Johnny Mills theory. So <laughs> so how does he do the best bleach job in the history of bleach jobs on the garage where he can put all the dust back and then he fails to wipe the hood latch? So, But he, he leaves just a little bit? And then we have the smear in the ignition and then we also have a swab of DNA in the back cargo area. So he misses all those? And the but the amounts are so low, but yet he doesn't miss anything <laughs> in the garage, even with all the cracks in the garage and and they found old deer spec DNA in the garage, and yet he's too incompetent to and he just covers the car with a couple of branches, hoping nobody would find it. Yeah, <laughs> like you would think if he wanted them to find it, he would at least have. Well, I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to. He could have just should have just put that car in the the fire pit. Or the crusher, the car crusher right there. Yeah. <laughs> and how often does he crush cars though? Some people would say they would find it. They would. Some people that argue the reason he just dumped it there and covered it with a couple branches is, <laughs> is because he didn't want people to be suspicious of the car crusher. Now, it's if a, he didn't want people to be suspicious, why is he having a gigantic bonfire burning her remains? And if he crushes cars all the time, the it wouldn't be yeah. – yeah, exactly. And wouldn't he rather people be suspicious that it was her vehicle than them actually find the vehicle with his DNA? Isn't it more suspicious to cover a vehicle with a couple of branches <laughs> and his DNA <laughs> than it is to crush a car and have people assume it was her car? <laughs> like it's the most Ill like some of these points against Avery are so illogical. Once again, I'm not saying he didn't do it. Yeah. I'm not saying he didn't do it. I'm saying if he did it, it's completely unlike whatever scenario that the Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department has concocted. If he gets out, he could write a book like OJ if I did it. Oh man, that's if he did it. The McGuire theory. <laughs> the police no well the well actually in the OJ case which we're actually going to be releasing soon. Did the the police believed he did it right? They didn't think he was innocent, and then tried to frame him. So yeah, I think the, they thought he did it. Yeah, right. So in the Avery case, <laughs> I, the McGuire theory is, which I'm not saying I even believe in. I'm just floating this theory out there. The police thought he was innocent and tried to frame him, but he's really guilty. Because why would a guy who's about to get 36 mil kill people? <laughs> <laughs> Especially someone who's supposed to be on his property that day. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I mean, either he's the greatest. Like, if if he's smart enough to be able to bleach this garage in the best bleach job in the history of criminals, how is he not smart enough to realize that he would be highly suspect <laughs> if he killed Allback? It was supposed to be at his property. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Again, unless he has a split person. If he has a split personality, we can start to we can make room for some of these things. I like that split personality theory. That's pretty cool. Well, what else would explain it? Yeah. Because then he's being honest and passing lie detector tests yeah, because yeah, yeah. that personality's taking the test uh, when the other personality was the one that killed her. 
So Sherry Coolhane admitted on the stand that it was a very, very small amount of DNA. So I guess the people that say he did it, they would say that he tried to wipe it. But again, if he's competent enough to get rid of his DNA everywhere else, just not in her vehicle, (laughs) it's just kind of weird how he would fail to get rid of it in her vehicle and yet be one of the most successful criminals of all time in the way that he bleached the garage. What if, what if, uh, what if, uh, he somebody so he didn't do it right what if somebody killed her and put that car on his property like somewhere random like in the middle like oh this car shouldn't yeah. be here like the keys were inside yeah and then he saw the car and he was like oh. what is this car doing here i'm gonna put it somewhere else <laughs> 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 then he had the key in his pocket and then he took the license oh. plates off or something i don't know or if he didn't do it, if he didn't do it, and someone dumped the car right in the middle of his property to frame him, and he found it and tried to move it, yeah, yeah. because he was like, "Uh oh, they're gonna think I did it." If oh no, maybe car here. or if he didn't even realize it's like nighttime or something, oh, and he didn't realize which vehicle, and it was. maybe he okay. could have even been drunk or something, and he just parked it somewhere else. Are you trying to imply that he's always drunk? No, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying if you didn't, because he hasn't mentioned anything like yeah. that. Oh, so. oh, okay. Or it was so his other person, or he's just got a split personality and he's innocent. Neither one of his personalities did. That it. is interesting though, because that could totally see that. Like, what is this car? Yeah. Why is if he using know about the car? Yeah. Or it could even be left on. <laughs> yeah. That would be weird. Yeah. I think he would. I think he would recognize her car though. If well, it's not if he was drunk, though? not if he was drunk, or if it was his other personality that didn't meet her. Uh, <laughs> I like that split personality. <laughs> because supposedly. That Wait, car... let me let me guess, Maxwell. It would make a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> 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 No, because the headlight on that car, I think it was the front left, was busted out. Yeah, we're going to go over all the vehicle issues in our evidence podcast. So, okay, so let's continue. So let's round out this issue with the hood transfer DNA. As I was saying before, Maxwell, this is one of the number one pieces of evidence that is used against him. So the people that think he's guilty, oh, his DNA was found on the hood latch. But if it's transfer DNA from a lab tech's glove... From his vehicle, how does that, how is that evidence against Stephen Avery? I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it. And then so most silly. people, most people that argue the case, then default to, well, look at his eyes; he did it. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> I would prefer some evidence. I don't I mean, see I don't, it in his eyes. To tell the truth, I don't, I don't know, either. Like, like, I don't like either. when he just he just says it like it is. I don't know. So Nick Stalky, which is that's the tech, and he actually gave his testimony in the transcript stalky so here's the other thing there's a big we'll go into this in the evidence podcast so the battery that was found on november 8th by nick stalky they did not swab the hood latch the first time yeah they didn't yeah they did it like in march so why did they wait that long because they wanted brendan to say it yeah that's one of the theories what do you think maxwell about what <laughs> but wouldn't they test the whole damn car? I know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Well, we're gonna go into that in the in the evidence podcast. So, I mean, all of these the all of these DNA evidence things are so called after the fact finds. So, how come none of these were found in the initial sweeps? If nothing was planted, why didn't they find all this in the initial sweeps? <laughs> so, here's an interesting comment that was posted. Actually, I'm gonna read it. There are a lot of late finds, the bullet fragment, the hood latch DNA, that have to make you wonder, are these the most incompetent three police forces in the nation, Manitowoc, Calumet, and the State Department of Justice crew, or did they not find things because they weren't there until later? So what do we think? What are the chances of three completely incompetent bumbling forces? I mean, one, yes. Two, maybe. Are we going to go with all three? All I know is I'm never going to go there. You're not going to Manitowoc County? That's not your next vacation spot, Jack? (laughs) I think Maxwell wants to go there. We got to do do a boots on the ground uh, podcast there. We got to go interview people. Maxwell's going to interview Dave Remicker. Let's do it. (laughs) Do you know who that is, Maxwell? I have no idea what it looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I'll, I'll interview Steve Avery. Let's go visit him. Yeah, he won't go anywhere. <laughs> Should have him come on here when he's out. Oh my god, why is he out? He doesn't get out. He doesn't he's get out. getting out. I mean, if, unless if, unless there's some weird evidence that there, Kathleen Zellner is finding a bunch of stuff. I mean, really? like, if that can get to retrial, 
Wait, wait, uh, you're talking about the staircase, right? No. What the hell is Kathleen? Well, Kathleen, that was her name in the staircase. Yeah, yeah, But uh, yeah. Kathleen Zellner is um, Stephen Avery's, like, oh, uh, wife? lawyer. Oh, lawyer, lawyer, yeah. Oh, wait, wasn't that, wasn't that, wasn't she the first lawyer or something? Or? No. He had uh, two guys first time. For oh, the no, first... no, no, for the, wait, 85, we... for the 85 case. That it was a lady lawyer and then, and then two people for this. Yeah, I don't remember the for first For two one. guys for this one. Huh. Wait, what are you talking about? Uh, the oh, the lawyers. different lawyers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like uh, the eighty-five lawyers, a female, and it's the, there's two guys on this uh, for yeah. this one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they were different attorneys throughout. Yeah. These guys are smart. These well, they were guys. done. The guys are done because they lost the case. Now Kathleen Zellner and another attorney are his attorneys. Oh really? <laughs> wait. Get with when, the wait, times, when this, Maxwell. Did, hold on, hold on. Get with the times. When did this transfer? What episode was this? <laughs> I don't know. So just one more point about dead skin cell DNA transfers. Supposedly, the average human loses between 30,000 and 40,000 skin cells per minute. <laughs> so, yeah, just an important note. And then hair is like 100 strands a day or something, right? So if they lost a case, they can't they can't go back on. Or is that what you're telling me? Or like they? Well, no, they just, just lost, so he got different. He got different, different lawyers. lawyers. That case was over. Yeah, now so Zellner's handling his appeals. Some people, some I would people just go with the same ones. I don't know. But they like, lost why? though, yeah, and so some what? people were critical of the fact that they didn't want to transfer to a different county. There were some criticisms of like they didn't so want this, to transfer yeah. to a different this, county. Like, this lady, about this, this Kathleen Zellner, is like pretty awesome. She's gotten a lot of people out. Like of that's her oh, thing. Really? That's her yeah. thing. Yeah. Wait, what, where do you get the, you get the money? Convicted. Doesn't she do a pro bono? Yeah, I, or some yeah, of it it's pro been. bono, or she got paid two hundred fifty thousand. I don't know. There was a few different numbers. Ne- Netflix out. paid. But it. other people, other people point <laughs> out. Other people point be. out, like it's so much publicity. Like yeah. the amount of money, even if she did it pro bono, oh, the yeah, amount of money it, she would make she would, be, would yeah, be much yeah. more than this charging is like for it. The biggest case. Too. Yeah. yeah. It's, Actually, it's if, if if I were like a, a it's probably the biggest case since OJ, right? Yeah. If I were a lawyer, I'd be jumping all over this for pro bono stuff, like all over the place. No, it's a lot of work, though, man. Yeah, it is. But still, if you put in like five, ten years, I don't know. Well, yeah. actually, that's too long. But uh, two couple of years, I guess. All right. So here's okay. Now let's talk about mil. let's talk about identifying Hallback now. So apparently, there was no DNA profile of Teresa Hallback in the Rav Four. So this is directly from the from trial exhibit document. We had blood stains, but we couldn't show it was from Teresa. The profile developed from items A1 and A14 are consistent with originating from the same female individual. But which female individual are they talking about? So it could have just been anybody, but the blood samples are from the same person. But is this person Teresa Hallback? Hmm. So let's look at this is from Exhibit 311, 05CF381. If anybody wants to look at that, just look at it. So what's interesting, if you look at all the documents too, it, it, it kind of seems obvious. Everything is written in a language to specifically convict Stephen Avery. They're not even trying to prove whose blood is in the RAV4. So we talked about this before, but real quick, I'm going to say it again. Uh, from Earl Avery, Stephen Avery's brother, he finally said this about the garage. If somebody's going to slice somebody's throat, you know, there's going to be blood, something. Earl Avery told Stephanie Bauer, and they say they cleaned up in the garage, but there's all dust and everything all over everything. How do you clean up and then put the dust back? (laughs) Earl also revealed a shocking new piece to the puzzle. He drove by the alleged murder scene the night of Hallback's killing and didn't find anything suspicious. We drove right through where that car opens a new window was supposed to be. He added, it wasn't there that night of the 31st. We were rabbit hunting. So he's giving testimony. And by the way, Earl informed authorities of his drive-by time. Stephen's brother said no one ever used this information in the case. So he drove by where that car was found and said it wasn't there on the night of the 31st. And once again, we have to get that helicopter footage. Wait, who said said it wasn't there? Earl Avery, Stephen Uh Avery's brother. Uh Huh. So let's look at the science regarding the remains, testing the remains. So this is from the blog Stop Wrongful Convictions. 
So people will say, oh, well, they're biased. But if this is a wrongful conviction, then they're just telling the truth, right? And they're not biased. So here we go. Everyone accepts the assertion that Teresa's remains were found on the Avery property, but I wouldn't be so quick to accept that conclusion. Remember that there is no evidence that there were ever any bones found on the Avery property. Investigators can say what they want, but not a single photo captured this very important evidence. We are to blindly trust that they found the bones where they claimed in the burn pit and the burn barrels. It would be simple to fabricate this evidence. Agent Pevito even testified that the alleged bone fragments were smaller than half a pinky nail and that much of what was found was actually burnt insulation. How were the remains identified? The bones were so badly burned that only a single testable bone reported to be a two and a half inch section of a shin bone survived. The bone allegedly still had remaining tissue intact. How is it possible that a bone survived? The teeth were burned beyond any identification. Teeth are supposed to outlast bone when exposed to fire. That's interesting. Dr. Simley testified that he could crush the dental fragments with his fingers. They were consistent with cremains, not a body burned in an open fire. Who said this? Dr. Simley. Dr. Simley did not find a single tooth suitable for comparison to Teresa's dental x-rays. He had never seen such an extensive amount of damage. He found root fragments. In fact, he superglued two sections of a root together and stated that they were consistent with one of Teresa's roots. I have searched and have not been able to find a single case where remains were identified from a root it's likely because roots are pretty plain. They do not have unique enough identifiers to conclude that they belong to any certain person. That is likely the reason he could not make a positive identification. Consider what a root looks like. How is it possible that burned up super glued root sections were even stated as consistent with Teresa's? Were they consistent simply because it was identified as a root? <laughs> this seems like junk science. Forensic bite marks evidence has recently been discredited, and this type of evidence should probably be discredited as well. How many are under the mistaken impression that Teresa's teeth were found in the burn pit? There is no evidence this is true. So this is from Dr. Simley's testimony in the Brendan Dassey trial. Would you tell us or describe for us the condition of uh, these, the 24 tooth fragments and the three bone fragments you examined? They were all burned. They were all charred. Uh, they were very brittle. Um, again, they didn't look like normal tooth like we would normally see. And essentially, the crowns were all gone. What we were looking at was just the root structure, which was um, part of the tooth that's buried in the bone. There was one portion of a crown, um, but that portion was from a cuspid or an eye tooth and was not able to be identified. Is it possible investigators gave him a box of random cremains? I think it's very possible. In fact, likely. Next, consider the DNA from the shin bone that miraculously survived. There were major problems with this as well. Both Dr. Eisenberg and Sherry participated in the process of identifying the remains from this same bone. Sherry tested the tissue. Eisenberg sent the bone to the FBI. Sherry reported that she only obtained seven of 16 markers in her STR DNA test because the tissue was too degraded, yet her results were accepted as a match to Teresa's DNA. Maxwell, do you remember at the beginning of this episode, we looked at the DNA repeater sequences, yeah. the STRs. If only seven of 16 were found to match, is that enough to make a conclusive match to Teresa? No, it is not. And yet, her results were accepted as a match to Teresa's DNA. So, when people talk about, oh, Stephen Avery's DNA's on the hood latch, oh, Teresa Hallback's remains were found in his burn pit. DNA matched. Were they really? Were they really? So now, instead of taking these assumptions on faith as fact, should we not logically and critically examine these claims like any other claims? Huh. <laughs> well, they yeah, they were found in three places, right? 
the bones? They were most of them were found in the pit, yeah, but there were two other places where they were found and we don't know where they were mixed and matched. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz the bones were also found in a nearby quarry. Yeah. And also on Manitowoc County property. <laughs> and the part of the testimony here Eisenberg said there were no entire bones that were found. But at least a fragment or most of almost every bone beneath the neck was recovered in that burn pit. Did you find evidence of any human bone identified as being collected from a site other than the burn pit behind the defendant's garage? Eisenberg said human bone was also collected from what was designated burn barrel number two. How do you offer an opinion that you believe the location for the primary burning episode was the burn pit behind the defendant's garage? Is that correct? That is correct. Was there a, there was a third site? Was there not? Strang asked. Yes. And this would be the quarry pile. Yes, sir. You found in the material from the quarry pile two fragments that appeared to you, appeared to you to be pelvic bone. Eisenberg said that's correct. So some bone fragments identified as human have been moved. He said that's correct. So we cannot really say where they were moved from, how, when, why. So he's going to just, why were they found at the quarry site? Because if he's getting rid of them, like none of this makes any sense. Does this make any sense to you, Maxwell? It's yeah. funny that they say the quarry yard because that was actually Manitowoc County property. <laughs> what's, the, what's the quarry thing? It's just a neighboring property. We'll get into all that in the, in the evidence podcast. But back to the identifiers, there were only seven of 16 markers in the STR repeating DNA sequence that matched. Seven, so we're talking about half, less than half, of the 16 markers that were used. Eisenberg sent the bone to the FBI who reportedly tested the charred remains using mitochondrial DNA testing and reported that Teresa couldn't be ruled out as a contributor. So here's a couple problems with that. So did the FBI say it's her bones? No. They said basically the equivalent of it could be anybody's bones. That's pretty much <laughs> what they said because you can't rule her out. Right. But And then this was twisted into saying, oh, those are her bones. Wait, wait, wait but, but who said that? Who said those were her bones? Everybody. So yeah, Kratz, okay. uh, anybody who thinks Avery's guilty. <laughs> so the Everybody, FBI said this, is, this is, could be anyone's. And they they said, said they can't rule Teresa out. As a <laughs> Wait, how do you think would they could they have worded it any other way to make it more clear? Like they they know. could have said this is a seventy percent match, an eighty percent match, but they can't. They didn't. They just said she can't be ruled out. That means nothing. Uh, That's like saying it could be anybody on earth, including Teresa. <laughs> so, the other thing is, if they if they had suitable bone for testing, why didn't they use that for mitochondrial DNA testing? Okay, here's the thing. A year later, the FBI received dozens more bone fragments none of which were suitable for DNA testing. So here's the other issue, the chain of custody on the shin bone. So no chain of custody for Culhane's receipt of the sample exists of the shin bone. The only surviving shin bone with tissue holds the key to identifying the remains. Where is it and why didn't anyone perform mitochondrial DNA testing on the bone? So Sherry Coolhane allegedly scraped testable tissue from the bone. Once again, we have conflict of interest issues here. She said she took these scrapings from the bone and then sent it. So whether, if she's in on the cover-up, if she's in on the frame-up, how would that prove? But here's the thing, that didn't even come back to Reese's. So what are we doing here? So if it was a partial match, this is an unreliable result. The items from Exhibit 385 were sent directly to the FBI by Dr. Eisenberg. The FBI just reported that Teresa could not be ruled out. That's not an official match. And we have no chain of custody, no ID. So can we say this? Is there evidence of the victim's remains on Avery's property? Can we jump to that assumption, to that conclusion? We cannot, can we? Not logically. So, 
This article goes on to say, I am not convinced that the remains, from who knows where, match Teresa Hallback. In fact, there is no chain of custody to reflect how Kuhain even received the bone in her lab. Dr. Eisenberg testified that she shipped it directly to the FBI after identifying it as human remains. Sherry wouldn't have received it before Dr. Eisenberg, as it wouldn't have been identifiable as human at this point. If there is no proof that there were remains on the property, which there isn't, and there is no conclusive identification of the remains, which there isn't, how can Avery be responsible for Teresa's death? We're left with nothing but the car on the property and the very questionable blood inside. Is that enough evidence to prove a person was murdered there? Or anywhere else for that matter? It doesn't add up. If a shin bone survived, the teeth should have survived. It is impossible to trust any of this evidence. So, we have deep-dived into a lot of these DNA issues. And now, after listening through our DNA for Dummies podcast, you would know that the markers, we're talking about a partial result match, which could also match many, 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 many other people, particularly a family member of Teresa's, would they not? The last thing I wanted to go over is the DNA profile on the compact flash card found in the car. So for those who don't know, Teresa's memory card from her camera was actually found in the back of the vehicle, which is also kind of strange. Doesn't it look like someone just chucked that in there? Because there's a, there's quite a few problems with when did they kill her? When did they put her in the cargo? Like, none of this makes any sense. Unless you're saying he took her to the quarry, burned her there, then came back, burned it some more in his burn pit, and then spread it around in his sister's barrel. Like, <laughs> I mean, Supposedly I don't she was understand. Cut up, though. I, yeah, I don't understand the case, the, the state's case here. I just don't get how any of this works, logically. So there were 22 items tested in the report. So Exhibit 311 contains the results from the DNA testing on a batch of samples from Teresa Hallback's car, Stephen Avery's car, and the key and Teresa's Hallback toothbrush. So that's 22 items tested. So there were 22 raw samples, 14 resulted in DNA isolation. The report stated no DNA profile was obtained from items B2 and D1. So 14 samples had DNA isolation, 12 had DNA profiles, 11 were attributed to either Stephen Avery or Teresa Hallback. (laughs) (laughs) So 11 were attributed to Stephen Avery or Teresa Hallback. So there's a missing profile here. So A13A was not utilized for STR DNA analysis. Why not? A13A is the compact flashcard in the back of the RAV4. So whose profile is on it? So if Sherry Coolhane contaminated a lot of this evidence, like some people think, because she has made more errors than anybody else at the state lab, (laughs) (laughs) she might have gotten hurt. Like, we don't know. And why wasn't it tested if it had a police officer's blood on it or whatever, a police officer's DNA, skin cell DNA? They didn't want that on there, so they decided not to test it. I don't know. So a lot of unanswered questions here. So one of the thing we'll go over is any kind of motivations of Sherry Coolhane to fudge this because some people were like, well, she exonerated him, didn't she? Not so simple. She delayed the test for a year, and then it finally came through. It matched Gregory Allen. Who's Gregory Allen, Maxwell? Uh, is that a, Oh, that's the uh, other suspect that wasn't brought up, and then he wasn't, he wasn't brought up, or like he... I don't know. He was another. He was a. He was. He was a suspect that was known about, but they. He never came. Yeah. He well. He, he was the DNA match for the uh, Penny Bernstein assault in '85. So, if she was put under high pressure, like the rest of the county was, there's thirty six million dollars on the line. She'd be pressured to get the right result. The so-called. I mean, we got we got guys coming out of retirement to frame up Avery, like we we went over in the previous podcast. Mike Bushman, he's coming out of retirement for this gig. They have Sherry Coolhane. They're like, you better make that. You better work the deal with they and they the way it needs to be worked this time. So the people that just brush off any kind of conspiracy, it just seems so silly. Like when there's thirty six million dollars on the line, people will kill. People will do shady things. Even when there isn't, they'll do these things. Just to get away they're bad people whatever so to say that it's beyond uh, i wonder what would have happened if they had to pay 36 million dollars well the insurance company refused to cover it so there would be personal officers would be on the line like kusarek uh, who conveniently so that's, we that's went over a these big, compli- that's a big motivation if you were yeah if you were paying attention on the last podcast Maxwell, 
Kucerik was about to be deposed as well. Stephen Avery gets a, a, arrested, and conveniently, Vogel and Kucerik no longer have to do depositions. Very curious. Anyway, we hope you are now more knowledgeable about DNA testing and what it means when you say there was a DNA match on either a suspect or a victim. Is a match really a match? Partial matches don't really count, do they? That is not beyond a reasonable doubt by any stretch of the imagination. So if you cannot even prove a victim's blood is on a suspect's location, can we even say a crime has been committed? <laughs> I'm not sure we can. We hope you enjoyed another edition of the Mind Shock podcast. If you like our podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Just check the link in the description. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. If you like the video, like the video and share it elsewhere for others to see and comment. Feel free to leave your theories, rebuttals, or any thoughts at all on this podcast or the other podcasts. And check us out on social media, Facebook, Reddit, Twitter, Patreon. We will see you guys again next time soon. This is Bruce McGuire signing off. And Maxwell Powers. And Johnny Mills. Have a good night. <laughs>